leading us to that part of our service. And it was a great video to see church camp. I was like, man, that's, a, that's about a year ago. It does feel like it's been a, a long time. And I also kind of just amazed to remember that that was one of the last firsts I had here at Stony Brook. It took a long time to be able to have my first church camp last year. was that experience for me. And I'm very much looking forward to you going to church camp again. Uh, and I know many of you have, have a history there as well. Uh, but there are uh, others that you have connected with our church family over the uh, past few years. And if you haven't had the opportunity to come to a church camp yet, I'd, I'd encourage you in particular to consider that. It's a great way to, to get to know uh, each other better and to really feel like the family that we are. So uh, keep that in mind. And yeah, make sure that those uh, registration forms get to the wives and not the husbands. I think that was a good reminder as well. I'm always amazed, constantly amazed at the facts and, and information that stay in my head and then that, those that just flee immediately. Uh, things that I can remember easily and those things that seem easy to remember that I, that I can't. And one of the, the best ways to really internalize something is through song. So back when I was in grade one, which is a little bit ago, uh, my family and I, we, we left at the end of the grade one school year. I was in Landmark at the time, and we went out to Langley, B.C., to do Quest, which was a, a program by Wycliffe Bible translators. And they, and they kind of trained and interviewed the whole family to see if we would be a fit for this organization. And then we ended up joining them a little while later. And at Quest, I was taught a little bit of Pidgin English, which is, uh, which is a language that's spoken in Papua New Guinea. And I learned a few Sunday school songs in Pidgin English. One, which has everything to do with Acts chapter 3, the lame beggar being healed, our, our text for this morning. And the song, do you want to hear the song? Good. It goes something like this. Silver and gold me no got, to soul something me give a mew. Long name belong Jesus Christ, belong Nazareth. You walk about, walk about Calipanama Moss, walk about Calipanama Moss. Long name belong Jesus Christ, belong Nazareth. You walk about. There we go. Thank you. So the song, you will recognize it, walking and leaping and, and praising God. And Pidgin English is a funny language. And I remember that word for word from when I was in grade one, which still boggles my mind. So even when we get together here and we are singing and we're praising God, we are, we are worshiping it for many reasons. And one powerful reason is that it internalizes the truths about who Jesus is. And we, we, we sang a lot of these truths that we're going to study together in Scripture. And so you can turn, if you haven't already, to Acts chapter 3 in your Bibles. And what we have here is a story of immediate healing. There is a person that meets the apostles, and then his life is changed immediately. Uh, but then as we continue to read, we're going to go all the way to Acts 4.22, we see this longer story of the fallout from that miracle of healing. And why was there such a fallout? Why were there all these reactions? Because this miracle was accomplished in the name of Jesus, someone that the world thought was dead and gone. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. So I'm going to read for us from Acts chapter 3, the first 10 verses. Feel free to follow along. Those verses will also be on the screen behind me. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. 
And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Silver and gold me no got. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this is our short story of immediate healing, and this is where we begin our lesson for today. And as we read this story, we should recognize that the background scene is quite normal. It's in the normal rhythm of Jewish worship. It takes place at the hour of prayer, also called the ninth hour, which for us would be about three o'clock in the afternoon. This is the time of of afternoon sacrifice performed by the priests. And so the the congregation of Jewish worshipers could enter the temple. They could observe the priests in the courtyard going about their business with the uh, sacrifice at that time, which would be followed by a time of corporate prayer together called the, the time of prayer. And so there would naturally be a large group of people entering into the temple for that reason, which made it a, a perfect time for people who wanted to ask for charity or alms, as it's described. Uh, they, they could sit by the gates and then people would pass by them, uh, hundreds if not thousands of worshipers at this moment. And so there was this system that this beggar would have that he would be placed at the gate at that time. It was also a perfectly normal and natural time for Peter and John to go with that crowd. But I think it's important for us to take notice of the fact that at the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ, that the apostles and the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were still involved in normal everyday temple worship. To them, Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God. He was Lord. He was the Son of God. But nothing that Jesus did or had done stopped them from worshiping Yahweh the way that they had been taught as children. This was, in Jesus, the completion, the fulfillment of everything that they had been taught. And so they were still worshiping in the temple. And as they come and worship in the temple, then they they encounter this lame beggar. And this beggar was someone who had been lame for his entire life. And he was sitting at the the gate, the beautiful gate. And so I think there's a picture here of the temple. I think I remembered to put that in. It might be very hard for you to see. Um, But if you were to go into the the greater courtyard outside the temple, it was called the Gentiles' courtyard, so Jews and Gentiles alike could enter that area of the temple. And there was some big room there. But then you would enter into these different gates to get into the temple proper. The next courtyard would be the woman's courtyard. And on the east side, you would see the beautiful gate, which is um, number 11 there. And so it was at that gate that the lame beggar was asking for charity. And then it was in this courtyard where there was room for lots to gather in Solomon's portico that Peter would preach his sermon just a little bit later. So you can move on from that picture now. It's very normal, normal for this person who is lame since birth. In Acts 4.22, the final verse of our passage, we find this detail that this lame beggar had been unable to walk for over 40 years. So he was old. Because if you're, if you're over 40, you are old. And I have just under two years left to make that joke. 
I'm going to make the most of my time. But in, in the days of the early church, that would have been considered someone who had lived a long life. The lifespan was much, much uh, younger, much shorter during those days. And so the, the, the fact remained that this person had likely been sitting at that gate for years and years and years and years. And, and people had passed by him on this normal routine of worshiping for years and years and years. He was well known, never been able to walk always requiring charity. People knew who he was. And this very well-known beggar would have looked up at Peter and John and asked for alms. And it was at that moment that anything that was normal about that day ended. That is when normalcy stopped. And I love the, the encounter that we see with Peter and John and this beggar. They first say, look at us. They look directly at him. They give him the time of day. And he, he looks back at them saying, I'm going to get something from them. And that was true. Peter directed his gaze at him and John said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And then verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I'm sure at that moment the beggar's heart dropped a little bit because he was expecting silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. Peter is saying, I have something better than money. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. We have a miracle. We have a miracle that changes this day into something normal, to something profound, and filled with amazement and filled with controversy. And what this does is remind us that as we read this book of Acts, as we study it together, we, we acknowledged in the very first sermon that we call the book the Acts of the Apostles, but truly, this is a book that should be called the Acts of Jesus, part two. And perhaps there's no greater example of this than the story that we read, because it wasn't in the name of Peter or in the name of John, it was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And so this Jesus who had died and who had defeated death and rose again and who had ascended into heaven and then sent the promised spirit, this same Jesus is still performing miracles at this moment. And that is something completely profound. This book of Acts, this book of the Bible is all about Jesus. And the one simple and amazing lesson that we all need to take from our story today is this. There is power in the name of Jesus. And so if you're writing on the back of your bulletin or in a notebook or you're making mental notes and you're going to create a little tune to remember this after the sermon, whatever you do, internalize this truth. There is power in the name of Jesus. Now, for those who would have experienced this firsthand or read this written account by Luke, they knew that names in that culture carried significance, meaning, and power. And we don't have a very good cultural understanding of this. We often find names or we'll name our children names that we like. One of the things, or, 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 or we'll find a name where we can change the spelling slightly and then we'll do that, you know, whatever the case may be. Maybe, maybe there'll be a bit of a, an attachment to the meaning of the name, but we're not driven by that. But back in, in, in the times of, of Scripture, names carried significant and important meaning and also significant power. 
in fact, in some of the occult practices or in ancient magic, there would be this formula where you could use a person's true name or the name of a person to assert authority over them in that supernatural sense. Or if you found a powerful name, you could have that authority in that supernatural sense. And so all of this deep meaning, both in the, in the Jewish culture and in the pagan rituals around it, names carried authority. So when, when Peter says, in the name of Jesus, he's saying, in the authority of Jesus. But he's also recognizing that names have power and meaning, and they can be used as a formula in magic. But this is no magic formula here. Jesus is the name above all names. He is the ultimate power. He is the ultimate authority. And this is displayed in his ability to heal somebody that has a lifelong disability. So everyone watching this miracle take place, would know with no doubt that there is power in the name of Jesus. The truth for us is that there is still power in the name of Jesus, something that that Jesus himself anticipated we would need to be reminded of. And so I want to draw our attention to the Gospel of John chapter 14. And I am convinced that Peter was remembering this teaching of Jesus in Acts 3. And maybe you'll be convinced too. So I'm going to read for you John 14, verses 12 and on, where these are the words of Christ to his followers. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So I have no idea. This could have been the very first time that Peter would be mindful of this um, teaching of Jesus and say, I'm going to try it out. I'm going to see if this is true. Jesus promised his spirit and he sent it. Now he promised that he would do anything if I, if I, if I trust in his name and I'm going to try that too. And then he, he says in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk and that beggar is healed because there is power in the name of Jesus. But that power is not limited to the apostles. Jesus, in John 14, didn't say, to you, my specific 12 disciples, or to you, the very early church. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me will do these works. In fact, will do even greater works than these. As we dig deeper into the book of Acts, I think it's important for us to know there are some different theological frameworks that that different uh, church traditions come to and approach this book, especially all of the amazing stories we have of the power of Jesus' name and the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is a line of thinking called cessationism, which teaches that all of these uh, charismatic outpourings of the Spirit and miracles that we see were, were, were for the first apostolic age, that initial church early church age, and now they have ceased to be the case, and we no longer see them today. That's a teaching in in some churches. And then that's opposed to continuism, which is what you think it might be, that the same expressions and outpouring of the Spirit can and should continue today. And I think I need to acknowledge that when it comes to cessationism, that is an unbiblical way of thinking. Why? Because you read along with me John 14, which says, Everyone who believes in me can see these things done. Everyone who believes in me, who trusts in my name, can see these things done. There is still power in the name of Jesus. It did not cease to be powerful after that initial early church period. 
But of course, faith is also part of this process. It's a, uh, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, who has faith. And, and later on, after this healing has taken place in Acts 3, Peter is preaching to the crowd and he says in Acts 3.16 that it was in his name, the name of Christ, by faith in his name that he has made this man strong whom you see and know. And that faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. So there is power in the name of Jesus, and faith in that name is part of the process. It is a factor in how we see Jesus move in this way. So this is, again, not a magic formula. Just throwing this powerful name of Jesus out there without any trust or belief, it's not going to accomplish anything. It's through this faith that Jesus will move, according to his teaching and the teaching of Peter in Acts chapter 3. There is still power in the name of Jesus. I believe this to be true. I've shared this story before, but just in brief, I'll share it again. I have a friend named Herman. Uh, Herman's a dairy farmer in the Interlake. He was part of my previous church. And Herman, uh, over 10 years ago now, received a terminal diagnosis of brain cancer. He was given a set number of months to live. And so Herman uh, did a few things. He received some treatment. He changed his diet. And he rallied people around him to pray in the powerful name of Jesus. And a few months later... Um, when it was supposed to be half his lifespan left, he went to the doctor and they did another scan and the brain cancer was gone. It was not there. And the doctors were dumbfounded. There was no medical reason for that to be the case. How can this be the case? And Herman would say, I know, I know why. Because there is still power in the name of Jesus. There is still power in praying in his name. And yet we can champion stories like that. And it's important to me. Not only do I believe what Scripture teaches, I have seen this happen. I know that miracles still happen. But I also know that sometimes we pray for them and we don't see them happen the way that we want to. And so there are some very real messy questions when we come to teaching like this. Well, why why do we see the, the, the miracles in Scripture? Why do we see it for Herman but not for somebody else that I love? And church, I understand the complexity of this. We're getting very close. On on May 12th, it will be the two-year anniversary of my mom passing away from her own terminal diagnosis. And I woke up each and every day and I prayed in the name of Jesus for her to be healed. And she was not. So what do we do with that? Does it mean a lack of faith? Was somehow my faith or my family's faith or the people praying for my mom? Was that faith somehow less than those who were praying for Herman? Was, was it somehow that they had unpacked part of this formula that we had not unpacked ourselves? How do we deal with this gray area? Because it's very real. Well, faith is a necessity. And the name of Jesus still carries power. But God will always be the one to decide how he answers our prayers. So my journey and my story was praying for my mom in full faith in the power of the name of Jesus. And my prayers were like this. I said, God, Please give me the courage to pray for healing and the courage to accept however you choose to answer that prayer. Because this isn't a formula. It's not something that we can say, if I do this and this, then I am guaranteed that. We're not sovereign. God is. But we do not say this to undermine the power that we see in the name of Jesus. It is real. It is for today. It is for us and it's for the world. So when we encounter the power of the name of Jesus, how do we respond? And I want to spend the last um, minutes we have together today to look at the different reactions and responses of people in this story when they encounter this power. 
Well, first, the lame man who was healed in the name of Jesus responded by walking and leaping and praising God. And wouldn't you? I mean, is there any other appropriate response than to walk and leap to praise God? He had lived his entire life of over 40 years. Remember, a long, long time. (laughs) And now finally he can walk for the first time. There would be no other appropriate response than to praise the name of the one who accomplished this miracle. And not only could this man walk, but one detail that I love about this story is that he could also worship. He had spent his whole life at the gate, on the outside looking in, on the margins, unable to walk, unable to enter into worship, just asking for a handout. And the first thing he does is he gets up and he walks and he can go into the temple and he can worship. God has restored him, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And the works done in the powerful name of Jesus that we experience today should lead us to that same response, one of praise and one of worship. And I fear that because we live a very different, often very blessed life, that is, it's, it's so easy for us to take these blessings for God, of God for granted. And we don't always have these extreme stories, like the lame beggar who could not walk and then immediately could. Or like my friend Herman, who had terminal brain cancer and then did not. Those are the stories we can find it easy to see the power of God at work. But we see God's work in our lives all the time. There are so many things that we have that God has given to us and has blessed us with. There's so many ways in which he has proved himself good and faithful and true. We are rich people beyond all measure. And I have these moments in which I really believe God gives me his perspective on the blessings in my life, and I'm grateful for them. There'll be times in which I will just see my boys playing, or we'll go outside when the snow melts and we'll play catch, and I have all three of my boys playing catch with me, and I realize in that moment, I am so incredibly blessed by God to be able to do this right now. Or these moments like we share together, gathering as a church family. And I love being able to hear your voices as we worship God together and to look out at at those that he has brought into this family. And I'm so incredibly blessed to be here with you. All of these things and so many more are, are true outpourings of the power of the name of Jesus. But I can ignore them. I can take them for granted. I can expect them to be there. We need to recognize them so that we can respond in praise just as the lame beggar responded when God moved in his life. But it wasn't just his reaction. There was those who were watching from the outside. Those who had watched this man sit by this gate for years and years and years. And now all of a sudden, in one moment and in one prayer and declaration, he was healed. And there was no doubt that it was the same man who sat by the beautiful gate who is now the same man walking and leaping and praising God. And the crowd responded with wonder and amazement. We read that in verse 10. If we go one verse next to verse 11, we see that the, the crowd was utterly astounded by what God had done in the name of Jesus. How can this be? It was an irrefutable miracle. God is at work and it is utterly astounding. And here was my big question to myself and I think hopefully an extension to you as well. The lesson is there is power in the name of Jesus. There is still power in the name of Jesus. My question is this. Do we leave room in our experience with God for wonder and amazement? Is that how you would describe your relationship with Jesus? 
that is full of wonder and amazement? We live such curated lives. And I'm a creature of habit. I love my routine. Each and every one of my weeks can look very similar to the next. I will wake up, I'll get my kids out the door, drop them off at school, go to work, come home, eat supper, do something in the evening, go to bed, and then rinse and repeat. And then if you're anything like me, you'll, you'll come to church every Sunday morning because you guys are really good at that. And you'll come and you'll sit in the same pew or the same chair and hear some of the same songs and, and listen to the same preacher over and over and over again. And, and Church, there is a danger. There is a danger in this that we can lose our wonder and our amazement. We can lose this desire, even this ability to be utterly astounded by the Spirit of God working in the powerful name. Of Jesus, because sometimes we only see what we expect to see when God desires more. The very first experiences that my, my boys ever had with going to a baseball game was here in Winnipeg. And I love Shaw Park. It's a great, wonderful, beautiful little ballpark full of, a, full of great food, which is what my boys really want to, to experience when we go there is get the snacks. And, and they love watching baseball games. But I still remember when I got to bring them to the, a big league ballpark for the first time. Because they have this idea in their head of what a baseball ballpark looks like. And then we go to Chase Field in Arizona, and it is so much bigger. It is exponentially more than they would have thought it would be. And their eyes are filled with wonder and amazement. And that's the look. That's the feeling. That's the experience that God wants to give us. So we can get so used to experiencing him in this way. What if he wants to do something more than we ask or imagine? What if he wants to give that awe and that amazement and that wonder back into our lives? Are we ready and open to experience it? Though, of course, I'm not saying that we want to just chase mountaintop experiences where it's all about seeking a spiritual thrill or or seeking a miracle because our relationship with God is so much more than just that. I had the chance to uh, go out for lunch with a, a friend of mine this last week. His name is also Andrew. Uh, we like to play that up when we go places. Um, we were having lunch, and I was sharing with him some of the thoughts that God was giving me preparing for this sermon. And he said, well, you know, it's not all about the miracles. Sometimes we just need to be filled with awe and wonder at the gospel. And just coming from the Easter season, it hit home for both of us that each and every time that we share the good news of what Jesus has done for us, it should move us to be utterly astounded. We don't need just signs and wonders. We need the truth of who Jesus is. We need salvation found in him alone. We need life and love that are only able to be received from him. And that should leave us to awe and wonder. And yet, my friend also supplied me with another point in my sermon. I love outsourcing it. It's wonderful. He says, really, the awe and wonder wasn't for the followers of Christ. The awe and wonder was for those who were watching them. So maybe the question is not so much do we leave room for awe and wonder in our experience with God, but do we live out our faith in such a way that others are left in awe and wonder of who God is? Are we any different from the world around us? It makes no sense to claim to follow a miracle-working Savior and then live the same way as the world. Act the same talk the same, use our money the same, have our relationships the same way. It needs to be different. It needs to be filled with the power of the name of Jesus because there is power and the world can glimpse that power through you. Are you open to the awe and wonder found in the name of Jesus? 
Well, as the crowd gathers in our story at the sight of this man who was lame that is now healed, walking and leaping and praising God, Peter uses this, as any good pastor would, as an opportunity to preach another sermon. And they gather in that colonnade, in that um, Solomon's porch outside the, the temple gates there, and then they, they, they hear another sermon. It's very similar to the one that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the resurrected Lord. Repent and turn to him. And there's so much goodness in this sermon, but we don't have time to cover that today. We're instead going to look at the different reactions. We have praise, we have wonder and amazement, and then we see the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4, and we are told that they are greatly annoyed. (laughs) They are greatly annoyed. As they were speaking to the people, Acts 4 verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000 people. The church is continuing to grow. The good news of Jesus Christ is being given and received, and, and the power of the name of Jesus is there. And so those who were already in power found it to be annoying. In fact, that, that word doesn't do it justice. It really, we can say that the, the religious leaders were greatly disturbed. It, it disturbed them. It made them fear for their very way of life. Why? Because of the teaching that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The Sadducees, the group named in particular by Luke, didn't believe in any resurrection of the dead. So they didn't want any of that dangerous teaching to be seeping in. But as a group, the religious leaders were worried that the disciples would stir up the story of the resurrection of Jesus. They were worried about it, as we read in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, before Jesus was raised from the dead. They tried to do everything they could to stop that story from spreading. And now their worst fears are coming to life. Didn't we put an end to this trouble? Isn't this in a rearview mirror? Wasn't this done away with when we put Jesus to death? Now they have something else to contend with. And the leaders could also see that same evidence in front of their face. They also knew this lame beggar. They also knew his situation. They also saw him walking and leaping and praising God. They could not deny the miracle, but they wanted to know how. I want to read one last passage for you, Acts chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. And so they brought Peter and John into their midst, and they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by that means this man has been healed, or so by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all that it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has now become the cornerstone. There is power in the name of Jesus. Everyone knows it. Even the religious leaders know it. But the reason they respond differently is because when they know and encounter the power of the name of Jesus, they are greatly disturbed because it comes at the expense of their own power. They were the conduit between God and his people. They held wealth and authority. And all of the teaching of Jesus and his followers undermined this. They were disturbed at the power of the name of Jesus because it threatened their own power. 
And how much of our reaction to the power of the name of Jesus is also based on maintaining our own power, or as we might more readily call it today, control. To acknowledge the power and authority of Jesus is to give up power and authority of our own. And this is difficult. It's hard. It doesn't come naturally. But if we find ourselves pushing or pulling against this, if it annoys us, if it disturbs us, then we need to ask ourselves, what do we need to let go? So the religious leaders try to do some damage control. They can't refute the miracle, so they try to keep it under wraps. They bring the apostles before them one more time, and they say, okay, you did this thing, but no more. No more preaching in the name of Jesus. No more teaching about the resurrection of the dead. No more sharing the good news. And then I love the response of Peter. I I lied. I said there was one last passage, and I have one more I'm going to read. Acts chapter 4. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. But for us, we cannot but speak what we have seen or heard. We cannot help but speak of it. So Peter and John give us our final reaction to this powerful name of Jesus, what I've called compulsory boldness. What does compulsory mean? It means you have to do it. You can't help but do it. The only other time I see compulsory is when those signs on the side of the road that say you have to wear your seatbelt, right? You have to do it. It's compulsory. Peter and John said, with everything that we've seen and experienced, we can't help ourselves. We have to preach in the name of Jesus. We have to teach the good news. We cannot but speak of what we have seen or heard. There's very few things that I can think of where it feels compulsory. But one more ballpark experience that I've had is that a lot of ballparks or arenas, you'll often hear, hear Neil Diamond's uh, song, Sweet Caroline. You guys know the song I'm talking about? And there's a compulsory part of this song. You know which one? It's right after the... Okay, I'll sing part of it for you. Sweet Caroline. Right, you have to say that, don't you? It feels like I can't help but do this. In fact, there's a, there is a comic strip that I saw of this, this aftermath of a medieval battle. And there's soldiers that say, which ones, how do we know which ones are really dead and which ones are just faking it? And so the other, the other soldier says, sweet Caroline. And a few of the guys on the ground go, bah, bah, bah. And then, then they, they kind of get the business end of a spear. It's a really good way of figuring it out. Right? That's... That is what Peter and John are saying. We, we can't help ourselves. It's not a discipline. It's not an obligation. It's not a requirement. It's not a religious practice. With everything that we have seen and experienced and lived in the powerful name of Jesus, this, we, we can't stop. We can't stop talking about him. We can't stop teaching. It has to be done. It's compulsory. So make no mistake. There is power in the name of Jesus. What is your reaction to this power? Does it lead to joyful praise of God like the lame beggar? Does it leave you with wonder and amazement like the crowd? Does it bring you to a place of bold preaching like the apostles? Or perhaps you're greatly disturbed like the religious leaders. The name of Jesus is powerful and that never changes. But the way that you respond, that's up to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we know there is power in your name. We have, we have seen it. We have experienced it. Just like the apostles. God, I pray that we would, we would have that same compulsion to just have to tell people about you. 
But Father, if there's any here today that, that haven't experienced that, whether they believe, but, but their experience with you has been dry and expected. There hasn't been wonder and amazement. God, I pray that you would send your spirit in full measure to just reveal your goodness and your love and your power. And God, if there are some others here who, who have experienced none of this because they haven't taken that step of faith in your name, I pray that today they would place their trust in you, knowing that there is no greater name than the name of Jesus. That is the name that we call on to be saved. In all of this, God, I pray that you would be at work here in our community, that we would be open to the wonder and amazement of your spirit, that we would be open to the power of your name, and that we would see our lives and the lives of our community transformed because of who you are and what you do and how you draw people to yourself. We pray this today and each and every day in your name. Amen.